In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizens Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Hello, your majesty. Uh, This is episode number 18 of season two, and we will come up with a title for this episode later. So today we're going a little bit off the cuff. Um, We're going to just kind of shoot the breeze and bring it back to good old racism in the USA. Um, And, you know, we've we've been off the air for what a week. Um, It's been a number of weeks actually since we've recorded so we're just getting back into the swing of things and we're gonna go a little loosey-goosey here um because none of the other topics we have up on deck are uh speaking to us today yes and we just want to be clear that we have decided to go public with this matter unlike the royals who have decided to handle it privately as they can outside of colonization you know it's it is uh it's such a painful thing and and um i know i spoiled the end of this movie for you but last night serge and i finally watched um judas and the messiah i think is the name of it and for anybody who hasn't seen it you should i highly recommend you see it it's important it's an artifact of our history and it shows how far state oppression can go um and it's a really good film i mean it's great acting it's great film to begin with but the the message around it is you know taking us back to chicago during the you know heyday of um this is after mlk and um malcolm x have been assassinated and you know there's another great or potentially great leader rising up out of chicago and and this guy is uniting um is uniting disparate parts of the downtrodden so really under to me actually i just realized it's kind of art the same banner we might fly because it's about the people and he was he's able to unite not just you know the the um, black communities in chicago but also the hispanic communities and the downtrodden white supremacist communities that have wow. been rejected by society because they all have the same problem. They have dilapidated schools. They have bad, you know, you know, it's hard to get jobs. You know, it's like, it's like steerage. Well, you're at the bottom, you're at the bottom, right? And, and so he saw the problem. You've got to lift your base. So strange. It's been so long. And, but what happened to that great leader? Like, why is the leader not here today, Mike? Yeah, you know, because he had the message of power in the people and the state did not appreciate it. And he was um, taken out. And this when you say movie, taken out, you mean by the mob, right? Because that's the only group that would take out an individual, right? The mob. Thank you for that context, Ray. Yes, in this case, the mob being the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover and the police force. So the agents of the FBI were planted everywhere as inside informers. 
and the police were the military arm of the government. And um, I, I just, they're just, and, and it's a film that's made recently. So I'm, I'm assuming, you know, there's a lot of the way it was, is presented is to try and hearken to not just historical events, but recent events. I mean, Bri Breonna Taylor came screaming out of that towards the end of the movie for me in so many ways, you know, and that's just one example of a litany going back before the country was founded. And um, it's powerful. All I can do is recommend it. And I know you were lamenting earlier when we were off the air about, you know, not, not having the opportunity for some of these films to be in theaters and whatnot. Um, maybe it's more accessible in people's living rooms. And I wonder if people are even, it, it may reach people who wouldn't actually go out of their way to go see a movie like this in a theater, but there's a little bit less of a, um, you know, a, a burden to just put it on HBO or put it on Netflix and be curious. Right. Well, we have a captive audience right now. This is the right time. So I, I guess I can't be too upset because I, I was upset. I did lament earlier that it's a shame that these are not being put out by major companies which mm -hmm. means they will not make it into the theater which means they will not make it into the suburbs and the mainstream where we really need it so um so i do agree it, it, this is good people in their homes maybe maybe it's better for suburb suburban america right to sit in the confines of their own home and have an existential experience yeah i mean that only occurred to me just when we were talking about it now because if you're apprehensive now, i'm going to talk a little bit about drag race <laughs> only because there's a particular contestant on drag race right now that is it's funny because the struggle is real with them and it's the struggle that i think a lot of white america goes through um this particular drag queen was apprehensive to wear an afro but she's gonna play bob ross on she's she's gonna play bob ross the painter the famous painter who was a white guy who had an afro it's okay <laughs> you know people have different kinds of hair it's not a big deal um and so it's just interesting to see these unconscious bias and you know and and of course there's a lot of aspects to that that's a little different because they have their public personas so they have to be concerned about cancel culture and other radical things um and just because you brought up bob you know why he had his hair like that right no he couldn't afford a haircut. So when he was a student, and he was doing this job for public television. They weren't paying him a lot of money or anything. I mean, he wasn't a student, but when he was younger, he wasn't getting any compensation. He couldn't afford a haircut. So that was just him uncut. And eventually it became the persona, right? They didn't want him to drop it because it became part of the brand. But that is just an example of America not being able to sustain itself, right? But showing that Bob Ross can become a cultural icon, but yet his icon was... The, the basically the depression of the society he couldn't afford to get his hair cut a simple haircut wow <laughs> oh and you know we're we're in tough times we've been talking about it a lot it's power to the people ideas you know very similar vein to what we've been trying to put forth out there because this republic is ours and it was, it was a little bit, I, I'm going to say poetic, it might be the wrong word for it, but when I was thinking about some of the prior episodes where I had mentioned it, 
um, Merrick Garland and his speech about taking the head of the FBI or the Justice Department and why the FBI was originally established. So now in my mind, having preloaded the idea that the FBI was originally stood up to protect newly elected black senators and other congressmen as they transited from the South to Washington to have J. Edgar Hoover on the other side conducting war operations against American citizens using a department that was established for the protection of people. You have to be careful, you know, about all of these systems and, and tools because none of them are innately good or bad in and of themselves. It's how we use them. It's what we do with them. And we need to be very honest with ourselves. You know, our, our exceptionalism comes from our ability to change with time. It doesn't come from the fact that somehow we're righteous because we've been struggling with demons our entire existence, our existence being the Republic's existence. Tough stuff. So, and then the crown. So the crown. So, I mean, and here's the good thing is like, thankfully, constitutionally, we all agree that the royal family was full of something not so royal a long time ago. So I live in the comfort in the U.S., but then I forgot. It, it, maybe it is the perfect flag for white supremacy. What is better than when the crown owned the brown? Take us back to when the world was controlled by the royal family. And what are you seeing here other than the last kicks of a dying horse? They are irrelevant. They've been pushed to irrelevancy over the last 200 years, and there's really no reason for them to exist. And I believe the people that like the royal system and believe it has a place are those same heritage people in the United States. They, they, I think they're skirting a racist, or I think they're towing a racist line. And, and that may be very wrong and opinionated, but uh, who, who invented racism? It was a combination of the European powers. That's what history has shown us at least. And so why would we not expect the royal family to be the cornerstone or the poster child of racism? I mean, we, we had the poster child for black oppression, which are the Uncle Ben Rice and the Aunt Jemimas of the world, right? Well, there's another side of this. There's the other brand, which is the white supremacist brands. And I, and I feel like the royal family has chosen to draw a line unfortunately, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm still waiting to see how they're going to work this out, but apparently it's going to be private. So I, what does that mean? Yeah. They like to keep all their dirty laundry inside the firm. Apparently. Um, I, I have to admit, I was not shocked, surprised, and I'm going to say nor dismayed by that interview um, with Oprah because, well, just because. <laughs> I mean, if, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that we've, we've been ever-present and aware of all these biases and, and all these things that have become institutionalized in our systems. And it's just, it's so scary to think, you know, we, we're still living through it and we're still experiencing it and it's less blatant than it once was. Um. I, I still never cease to be shocked only going back to like the 1960s and 1970s 
you know, where I, when you see the real um, parts of the United States that were in the Stepford neighborhoods, and you're like, gosh, you know, it's amazing to see how long the big lie has been around. Oh, it's been big too, and it's been and it's 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 refined. Or how big? Sorry, yeah, well, how- it is big. Well, you don't even know because it's such a well-oiled machine and refined, and it's been working a lot longer than we have been alive, folks. Um, this has been sustained. It's sustained itself, which is the big lie, what you what don't want to call it. Now, uh, you know, I, I go back to, and I, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant that I just only discovered Strange Fruit. I was disappointed. But if you have not listened to Strange Fruit by Billy Holiday, really? please, please sit down uh, with a cup of tea in a quiet room and listen to that and be thoughtful for a moment because it's, it's vision, it, it creates a very vivid visual and it's sad because that song was oppressed because that song was so blatant about what was wrong with our country at the time uh, the government came after her not the mob Um, apparently there was an original mob it's the government it's it's these police forces or these groups that would bring slaves to back to their their home their states right and then when the country evolved past slavery they became the police forces or they became these individuals who had a degree of power or the kkk as they got squeezed out of the power structure they formed you know neo organizations so what you see here is a methodical machine that's been working on it a long a lot longer and a lot harder than we're working against it and so i think for for me, I'm asking my fellow Americans to, you don't, you don't have to take on the big fight necessarily, but you absolutely have to lean in and not be a bystander. I think that's what I, I think most people have to do is when you hear it finally and you say, wait a minute, that didn't sound right. Instead of walking away, turn around and say, excuse me, that, that sounds really odd. That sounds a lot like racism. And believe me, you'll get an engaging conversation at that point. Um, what it'll be like, I don't know. I really don't know. I think most people might stop and, and then recognize and, and think because somebody said something. Bystanders have the most power in, in any situation. When George Floyd was being murdered, there were bystanders there screaming, stop, stop, that's not right. So if anything saves us, it might be those bystanders in the camera, in the, re- the recordings, screaming, please, enough is enough, help him. That might be it, right? Thank goodness somebody was screaming and pleading with the police. Someone was just was actually advocating for Floyd at that moment. I don't think if that voice was in that video, it would have had the same impact. Bystanders are powerful. Power in the people is very powerful. You know, um, a pretty controversial thought popped into my head about the history of terrorism. Uh, I, I, I'll need to dig into that because I've actually not sought out any kind of historical perspectives on terrorism. But right now, thinking about it, I feel like w- w- we were, we, I'm, I'm now taking on the moniker of all white people historically or otherwise, were the original terrorists. We institutionalized terrorism um to get our way to take our lands so that we can have an economy i mean if you think about how we executed slavery 
And why I say white people is because, well, we, we created whiteness to, right. To, to be able to build that empire for us and ours, um, be damned everyone else. And there was a false promise. Well, you can go off and do your own thing until you get too threatening, too powerful. And then we're going to have to mob on you with our state power. And, you know, just calling out a religious group or, or the Middle East or look over there as if that's the end-all be-all of terrorism without looking within ourselves and looking at home. You know, it's, I, not- it's hard, right? There's some hard truths. It's, this is... I wish you weren't giving me an epiphany right now because I hate how ignorant I feel when I talk to you sometimes because you're absolutely right. It's, it's, I didn't realize it, but terrorism has always been here. And we've labeled all of these other nations as terrorist nations. But what about the first terrorists? What the axis of evil? Based on what, what judgment, what evidence? And if you're going to use that evidence to call that the axis of evil, then what do you call this? What do you call us and what we've done? The old evil. There's an axis of evil, then there's the old evil, right? Because we've learned our ways, but we haven't. Though you can't, you don't change your colors all of a sudden. It takes time and it takes generations to lose that level of systematic racism, and 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 we're not and we're not even there. We haven't even started to truly dismantle it. So people should understand it's going to be a long, a long haul. And it has been, apparently. Now that you're making me think about it, I think of all these atrocities that have happened in history that we think about, and we just talk about them as incidents in history. We don't label them what they are, which is terrorism. Yeah. Which is, which, there, was, there, was, there was domestic terrorism by, committed by the state when John Lewis was struck over the head and almost died on that bridge. Yes. And the natives, the Cherokee, whoever moved off of their lands. I mean, there were... Forced. Yeah. Well, when we when we killed the buffalo, murdering the buffalo, which was their food source, right? So the most effective way to complete the trains um, was they needed to go through those Indian lands and to clear the Indian land. Someone had a great idea and said, "Well, why don't you just take out the buffalo? Then they don't have any food." And so they 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 decimated the buffaloes, right? So that is a terrorist act, I would think, right? They 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 basically poison the food supply. It's the version of. Let's not mince words. The U.S. government committed terrorism there and destroyed a food supply to destroy a people. And we don't talk about that. And that's what mm-hmm. I struggle with is, is we don't talk about – in my rooms we do. And at my museum, it's funny because I'm actually proposing we dig up um, our, our square, Historic Heritage Square, Michael, if you could imagine. I am proposing as a board member that we dig it up and we restore the Native American pit homes in the area in, as neighbors to the house. Because guess what's under those homes? Pit homes. There is a Native American village. And you know what? I'm not getting a lot of anti. Most people are agreeing. Yes, let's tell the whole history of Arizona. It feels like a beautiful new day. Yeah, and it changes things when you don't think about it from a political dimension, when you think about it from a human dimension. Because when you just consider the fact that, wow, those were ancient humans. How did they live? If you just come to it with curiosity about the history of your own species, you don't realize how much you're going to trip and stumble over atrocious things, <laughs> atrocious truths all over the place. It's pretty crazy. I, I think back to, I, I can't recall if it was 
the Apache or the Cherokee, but I knew it was one of the it was one of the tribes that was in the southeast. I want to say maybe around Georgia, North Florida, or South Carolina, something like that. And um, they had chosen, they were one of the few tribes that had chosen a different path to work with the white man. And they started um, implementing, that's some background noise, sorry. They started implementing like, um, what do you call it? Like a currency and business and contracts. And they started adopting the English way of conducting business and society, the practices, right? They started to try and they, they thought, okay, well, you know, all these other tribes are just trying to retain or conserve what they have without changing it. This tribe is like, you know what, we're going to try and change. We're going to try and quote unquote evolve or adapt to what's coming so that we can be a part of it. We don't want to be lost. We don't want to be stamped out. We want, we, and integration just to the degree that we can be peaceful because we're conducting business and politics in the same way. Um, because one of the big issues with, you know, the early colonies was just how quote unquote savage natives were because the culture that uh, the English had created apparently was what it was, you know, it's proper <laughs> Civil, well, yeah. they call it civilized. I'm going to use air quotes. Oh, civilization. <laughs> okay. If you kill them by order of the king, then it's quite civilized. <laughs> right. Uh, murder for righteous reasons. Uh, genocide, I should say. That's more accurate. And guess what happened? Once these, um, once this native group started uh, adopting some of the cultural attitudes and principles, they became quite successful they became very good at it and um, it quickly changed from inspiring and look at this great example of how we've uplifted these people. We've civilized the natives to becoming threatened by their success. And so that was the end of them. And, and why does that continue to happen? Like we, history repeats itself and, and we are, we see this domestic terrorism action. So I, I just want to name off a couple incidents, see what we can, who can, who can name off the most really quick Tulsa black wall street burned to the ground because they started to achieve financial success and power. The blacks have tried, but they, they did that. So that's the one I'm throwing out. Do you have another, a trial, another domestic terrorist committed by the government? I've got tons. You can just keep going because I, I, I don't have that. It's only fair because I'm the historical context, yeah, right? I don't have that so, rap sheet. <laughs> Japanese internment camps, Japanese yes. internment camps during World War II, because maybe you, if you're Japanese, you couldn't possibly, possibly disconnect your lineage, right? Because you're not white. So you don't know how to be white. Um, I don't understand. So apparently if you look and you're genetically Japanese, you're pro predisposition to... Um, to, the emperor. Uh, to, but, but could it be that the Japanese were actually experiencing quite a lot of economic success in the United States were actually very well established that was happening. So, you know what, sorry, just on that point, because that kind of connects a dot that's been missing for me because I couldn't for the life of me fathom why all of their assets were conf confiscated and never returned. All of it, just like in, just like what Hitler did to Jewish people in Germany. Right. 
all assets. And, and I went to a school that was on the property of, of an internment camp. And they, they would talk about it very matter of fact, like it was interesting. And uh, at the time, I don't know why I was more, what, why I wasn't more offended by the situation, but they, they were just matter of fact, because it's right on the canal. So you can just imagine this old middle of the desert in Arizona hot and there's just this one canal that the water's brought in from the Colorado, right? And, and I just imagine the condition they were put in. They were all put into these situations. So again, why? The Chinese, again, another group that started to, um, that started to achieve success and started to have economic prowess and started to compete with the other poor, Right. So the rich cannot have people competing with the poor. So the rich and the powerful as terrorists decided, well, we've got to keep that under control. We can't have the poor thinking that there's competition and then they'll want more poor and more. They rhyme. That's probably what they're saying at their dinner table. And so then they created the Chinese Exclusion Act. Right. And we still see it today. What we call a tourist zone and what white people like to go check out, I call Chinese oppression. And I always remind people that the China's when they say, oh, I love Chinatown. I said, yes, it's the best example of Chinese oppression and racism in the United States. And people are surprised and I educate them if they are. So I, I make sure people understand that. But, but I, I realize I have to take it further, right? Because that's just one example in a long history of racist terrorist actions by the state. I just can't believe you shocked me today. I was supposed, that, that's not what was supposed to happen, Michael. We're developing a pattern. But I'm, I mean, I'm here with you. So it's, you know, it's both of us. This is, uh, this is art. We're creating art. Um, as we go and you know i was just thinking about segregation because i'd never thought about chinatown in the in the uh in the view of segregation before but yeah i mean that's naturally quote unquote how it occurred you know i was thinking about exceptionalism too so i'm like oh so anybody who can be better at playing the white man's game is a threat to white exceptionalism and that's dangerous from a broad perspective, because the state, the power structure, all those years could not sustain itself if poor white people ever rose up, ever banded together with all of their disparate brothers and sisters that are all oppressed, all downtrodden. And it's this weird, you were mentioning the railroads and everything. And in my mind was this connection between business and the government which has also always been there. It's like you can't isolate any of these things. And it's so easy to just pick and choose things from history, like you said, out of context, because the context is complicated. So, you know, the state, even to today, is also the military arm of business. It was for the railroads, and it has been for globalization. Um, and it's scary because then you've got back to, you know, that that image we put out there a long time ago, that tiered cake. It was a cut yes. against capitalism, right? But we work for you, we eat for yeah. you, we yeah, we the different and then at the top you've got, you know, the people who control and manage the money, the politics and the military, and then the religious apparatus, all designed to put downward pressure on the majority of people so that they can enjoy an exalted position in society and we still have it it's it still comes through 
to today. And I know that was, all the isms are problematic and that thing's all about anti-capitalism or whatever. But, but honestly, all the isms are nothing more than ideas. The reality is something completely different. The implementation of any ism. Okay. So when we talk about capitalism, it's just an idea. What you have in America. Yeah. It's a theory. <laughs> it's an experiment. It's the it's great a religion. experiment. It's, it's a religion. It's a belief. It's a belief system. It's in, it's in God we trust. Faith. Markets require faith. The invisible hand of the market is a faith-based. I, mean, I, I hope you've stopped buying jewelry because that is the biggest faith-based market that I am so worried about. It's the greatest example of, of white exceptionalism. There is nothing where, where, where they pull a resource out of a continent and then sell it at a marked up price through pure branding and propaganda diamonds are worthless oh those of they, you that, but they also created scarcity right so they extracted them all and they put them in a vault and they said well you know we're only going to sell three of these a year but why are people still buying them i don't understand where that and I, they look pretty but they should be they should be on the same level of costume jewelry they should be the same they should be priced about the same mm-hmm. yeah is it it's, you know, that's programming. It's, it's royal. It's royalty. It's, it's, it's the legacy, right? It's the royals have the biggest jewels, which are the most worthless now in, in, in all truth, right? So it, it behooves the, that I should have known if the royal jewels are worthless, then the family's worthless. Well, no wonder there's an interest to keep the system up, right? All this, just more way for rich people to make money. Just more way for rich people to make money. Keeping up appearances. But even that, right, though, they're selling it. Like you said, the pressure, the appearance, so they have it, right? They must know it's worthless. However, they, they continue to stoke the market at the base. So you well, keep that, yeah. that base for purchasing, right? I think there's a groupthink aspect there because they all get together and they all do it. And so then they all feel like this is okay or this is right or, you know, or and they don't want right? to Well, it's an it's industry, worthless. right? If you, if like, it's an industry, like we're doing it for society, like people are able to establish wealth and they can sell it later and oh, It's all quite coordinated. It's very coordinated, especially, you know, any gem, precious gem industry um, for, for the betterment of the industry. So. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking insider trading or something like that, but yeah, I can't think of it. We talked about it in the movies, like they smoking. I think we talked about it one time where it's very prevalent and they pushed it in there in one of our episodes. The same thing with diamonds, you know, the, the proposal and the, and the marriage that was all introduced in in the twenties as the moving picture started to come into prevalence. And, and they, and they showed Americans imagery of the diamond and, and the proposal. And that was never a thing before, before you went to the father and you're like, can I marry your daughter? And he's like, how many, you know, what's a dowry? And there was a big negotiation. There was no romance. But they <laughs> added that romance in the stone, basically. That's right. Well, and then that just makes me think about marriage being all about, it's 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 all a, a wealth and financial contract, you know. More domestic terrorism, no interracial marriage. Does that count? I don't know. Mm. Like if the government tells you you can't marry a certain, I mean, I was, I would say so because I was a gay man who could marry the person I love and it traumatized me. It's ruined my community for, for at least a couple generations. I feel, you know, we're just not going to be, we're not going to have that normalcy 
people are going to have down like because tell me in the heterosexual community where you face oppression for being a heterosexual growing up it's, it's not going to happen in, in the general society. So we continue to have that downward pressure. And frankly, um, it, it, it damages the, 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 the home for, for, the, for the gays, I feel. Yeah. In some ways. And that flips a coin for me because um, your people get hung up on the idea that, well, I grew up poor, I didn't have advantages. Or I grew up this way, I didn't have advantages. And people get hung up on this idea of advantages. And that's a misnomer. It's, it's not about having any advantage. It's about not having a disadvantage and how many disadvantages can drag you down. Right. You know, so you, you want to list it out. You, you, the, I would say the current version of a human in our society that catches the most amount of drag in their daily life, drag like negative pressure, air pressure, you know, slowing it down, not like dressing up and performing, but drag against your life, the momentum of your life. If you don't conform, every way you don't conform stands out as a drag against you your performance in your life, your ability to succeed. And where I'm really going is um, trans people who are not white. Trans people of color in particular, statistically, face more oppression. And it's, it's depressing because it shows the real problem with us is that all of, of, of society, even the, the LGB community, is guilty of, of, of also isolating the community. Yes. Why else yeah. is there a trans, like the march, right? The, the, they have the huge march because there's something to be said, still recognize us. And the, we're all broken. Like we, I do feel bad because I feel like we made a leap throughout the 90s and, the, and the, the, the double zeros, right? We made this leap as a community, um, but we did it only for the L's and the G's, right? And, and maybe yes. the B's, right? That, that's as best as you could go. We really didn't care about anything else. Um, and, and that's, again, I'm not going to feel guilty for being programmed by this country. I'm not going to feel guilty for being a product of what the country wanted me to be because they've been really good at making their citizens capitulate. And um, I'm just, but I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to recognize that I was ignorant them and I forgot part of the community and it can't happen again. Yeah, that's... Um... That was a big miss. That was a big miss in the LGBT, et cetera, community since the beginning is, sorry. Well, it's, it's, it exacerbates because let's like, there's a race filter. They did remove that, but the dating apps in, in, no, in the no. LGBT community has race filters, right? Yeah, or it did, you know, and, it and it's something we didn't really do a good job about, you know, and it's always been, I think it's always plagued the people at the bottom of the cake um, because we're just so divided up by the culture, by society. And so, you know, it's, it's really bad in the LGBT community where there's still racism, sexism, otherism, um, especially among rich white gay men, rich white gay men. I, I don't know. I, I don't know any <laughs> necessarily. I, maybe I do and I don't know. But 
but a lot of times it's just scary because I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna call out a you know a generic name like Peter Thiel, who's like all in on this system, you know, and it being it's been perfect for him. It's worked really well for him. And I think he just thinks, well, everyone else isn't as good as he is or something like that. Peter, his problem is that he has the same American condition is that we are hyper pressured to feel exceptional, to be exceptional, to stand out from the crowd, to not fall into the pool of regular or to the pool of nobody. That is uh, the categorization in the United States is 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 daunting, and we're, we feel you. And I and I know that everyone kind of is dealing with this downward pressure to conform and be. But really, the the sweet spot is doing the things that people say. Why are you doing that? I've got to tell you that my whole life, I've done things that everyone always questioned. They said why. They said why do you care? Why do you put in the effort? That doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference. I am so glad that I don't listen to all of that. And some of it came from my mother. So when it comes down to it, it you, you have to do what's right and you don't do it for others. So I think what, the, what, I'm, what I'm getting to is that when you say, this is how I feel and you're all focused on me, right? That's the big issue is that you think that you've done something special to get you where you are. So instead of you actually looking at the individual on the street and saying, I feel that person, I empathize that person, we are all obsessed with saying, well, I'm not there because I did this, right? You've become, you've almost become your own worst enemy. You're, you're cognitively dissident because instead of thinking about others and being selfless, you focus inward. And there's way too much self-help self -help telling people to focus inward. There's a lot of freaking inward in this country. So really what you need to do is look outward and see what that person has gone through. You don't know, you don't understand. You need to be coming from a place of grateful, thankful that you're not there and try not to judge them. And then try not to tell yourself why you're so special. Mm -hmm. why you're better than them. I know it's difficult, but when you look at your life and you say, well, the decisions I made, or geez, I, I hope my family makes better decisions. You, you are basically having a, a practice in ism, which is the gateway drug to racism. Yeah. All the isms are a gateway drug to hate. Any ism. If somebody's throwing out an ism, it's the same as an epitaph. It's a, or no, that's not the right word. That's on a headstone, <laughs> I think. But anyway, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's an insult. It's a swear, you know, oh, you communist. Oh, you socialist. Oh, you capitalist pig. You know, it's like, well, that's just, that's just selling hate and spewing hate. It's not constructive. It's not informative. It's not useful. Um, but there's a feeling behind it, right? Uh, well, it's fear. Let's, let's acknowledge, right? I want to stress that, you know, Michael and I do not sit in an ivory tower and think we figured this out. We recognize that we have fear. We're all coming from a place of fear. And that's our primal mechanism. That's, that's normal. We fear is what we discuss in our brain first before we have any real deep cognitive thought. And you really have to push past the fear mechanism. But some people like taking that fear mechanism and then coupling it with okay, I'm going to distance myself, right? I fear mm. being homeless. We all fear being homeless, right? We all fear not having health care, right? 
So then you say things like, instead of empathizing again, that's, that's a deeper practice of thought, right? Being empathetic and visualizing yourself in another person's shoes is taking it really deep. Most of us would rather say, well, I, I did this. I have a job with health insurance. They should get a job with health insurance. And, and it's so amazing to me because then you've closed it and you've cognitively shut down the conversation with yourself and, and you think you're deep, right? You think you're deep and you don't see the real risk because your healthcare could be gone tomorrow. You, you know, you're still not. tentative. It's tentative. There's nothing making your company give you healthcare. If all the companies had a grand agreement and said, you know what? Cause they've already decided uh, pensions were no good. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, so they're already pumping the brake on pensions. So when will the 401ks go? When will your health insurance go? That's the problem with this profit above all else structure. And we are not anti-capitalist. We are pro human, I I think more than anything, right? So capitalism exists, but if you add the pro human ethics to it, it says that at a certain point, too much wealth is unreasonable and, and strange. And we all should be having conversations about, well, I wouldn't even know what to do with that much money. And, and guess what? Certain uh, rich people have said, I have more money than I know what to do with themselves. So, so you all should be very concerned when you think about what would anyone do with that kind of money? We all should ask that question. Not that they can't have it, but we all should be having, again, a deeper conversation, not saying, again, just like you dismiss that homeless person, that rich person, well, psh, that's them. You know, I, I know that I am happy. I know that I have contentment. I know that I'm rich in life. And, and that's a great, powerful statement. And that's positivity. And I love it. And I'm all about that. But you also have to be a realist. You have to realize that you are a slave to that individual, that they are a king and you are nothing. And it shouldn't be. That's not the American system, I thought. Why aren't we talking about that? And that's the same for our race, for our racism issues. So while we're judging, well, the rich get to judge all of us in the middle class, the middle class thankfully has the poor and the downtrodden to look down upon. And we do it. You do it. I do it. We're all working towards being better about it, I think. I think until the social justice movement happened, I wasn't thinking about it. I think there were a lot of good people out there thinking about it, but I don't think the mass, I don't think we we're literally thinking about it. And some people want to go back to normalcy and some of us want to keep talking and I'll stop talking with that point. Hmm. Yeah. Over and over in my head is Oprah right now. It's, it's not what's wrong with that person. It's what happened to that person. And so many things happen to so many of us. And if you don't think you have bias, if you don't think that you've been indoctrinated with some kind of ism you're wrong i I have to be bold (laughs) and just say you're wrong you're wrong um if you're a human and you were born in our society then you came pre-programmed with some things you know that aren't true and they aren't right and they aren't righteous and you you need to be critical you need to be curious you need to examine those things I mean, I think about it with sexism and everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, women's winning the right to vote, the fact that women had, you know, everybody in this country has earned their right to vote except for the wealthy landowners. So it's been a long journey, but even for women to get the right to vote, you know, it, it was white women who really had to 
they were they were doing it and they and they didn't want to integrate it and um it was a part of their it was it was part of the 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 sales line for giving us us being white women the the right to vote because well we're going to help um balance voting you know it's more white people who can vote mm. I didn't know there was, that makes complete sense to me. That's that how you sell it to the South. So, you know what? I want my right to vote too. And guess what? I'm still white and I'm always going to vote on white, on the white line. So just give us the vote. It's going to help keep you in power. Wow. And I think for the aristocrats, they withheld, they withheld the bedroom duties, as I understood. There was a huge campaign that the stress of the situation was going to stop women from being able to perform their womanly duties at home. And so that was, I think that's how they dealt with the, the rich men. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting too, because it's easy to look back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and you can pick and, and prod and poke all the time. But, but what's critical is to see where those where those songs are still playing, where where some where the truth is to those things today, it may not be exactly the same. It may have wiggled to some other area of our house in this country or our society, but the undertone, the bias, the prevailing um, power structure always is trying, like the Catholic Church, always trying to adapt and integrate the the next challenge against its authority somehow to subjugate it without maybe even a direct conflict which is a lot of what the fbi was doing back in the day it's very subversive very subversive organization against american citizens and their rights and their rights i mean when we see it today it's the same thing if you watch that movie like Again, you know, I'm in the same ignorant boat as you, and I'm still just, you know, I'm on another deck now, but there's, I don't know how many decks there are above me. Nobody does. No. None of us do. No, we we don't know what deck we're on. And... We don't know how close to the bottom we are either, well, where we're starting from. I'm going to push back on you a little bit and tell you that as a, as a pure historian, I've always been, I've got a little bit of a trend going. So I, I feel pretty good. I really think that where we are now is that you were saying it earlier and I thought about it earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you because you were so astute on where you were, but I was thinking about administrative consolidation is the greatest risk we have. So power structures at the FBI, power structure at the executive branch, which never should mm. have existed in the U S government, mm. all of these administrative consolidations is the greatest risk. And it's the same thing for communism. Administrative consolidation is the risk because all of that power at one point means that someone can just take the throttle and turn it right, hard right. So that's the point of the, the government that we have in the system. And I think that's the point of like Julius Caesar, like everyone, because that's my big fear. Um, history repeats yeah. itself. Rome is the United States. So I've always analyzed Rome very deeply. And what I do believe is that where they got it wrong, you learn from history, is, is organizational administrative consolidation. They, they were they were ascending Caesar to a dictator. So people need to remember that Caesar didn't die. Rome didn't fall because it was a great democracy. They were actually going towards making Caesar an ultimate ruler. So the democracy was crumbling. So I hope people understand that, that yes, it can fail. The great experiment of the US can fail. Um, and that's how history repeats itself. However, can we learn? 
can, can we grow from it? And I'll tell you, the Chinese are practicing this because the Chinese are very conscious of the fact that the peasantry is whom through over their government in the past. So every time China has seen a change right. in government, it was due to peasant revolt. So it's actually more democratic in the Chinese provinces. They get to vote for their leaders in the cities. F them. Okay. I think Chinese is a different word than F, but um, in, in, but in the provinces, or, I'm sorry, in the, in the rural areas, in those small towns, there's better appeasement. However, they're doing other subversive things where, you know, there's no currency in China in those farms more and more. It's all digital. So they go up to a store and they scan a phone and, oh, it's so cool. Their money is in, in a digital account. And a coworker was telling me about this. And I'm like, that sounds like a method to control the peasantry. That they, if they don't have any currency to do ground level transactions, they can monitor everything. And the person stood back and was, and, and they are pro, they are pro China. And so they were like, oh my. Well, I said, the thing about freedom is that this dollar bill makes me as free as anything. I can do anything I want with this mm -hmm. dollar bill, but you take away my ability to conduct transactions. Anonymously. So and then if a peasant revolt starts, then, and I said that, and, you know, we went deep in the conversation of that, but a peasant revolt kicks off. All they do is turn off the money. Whoa. How easy. Wasn't that simple. So they're getting all this credit for digitizing their currency and they're ahead of the game. We should be afraid of the digitized currency. And I think we should resist the digitized currency for the sake of freedom. That's one the, of my it, stances. Well, and I'll push on you there just to broaden it a bit, because if it's like, if it's democratized like crypto, you know, then, then it's a little bit different. It's, it's that consolidation you're talking about. You're There's right. one you know authority what? over the Take currency. Take your own medicine, Raymond. You're right. <laughs> you know, Mike, you're right. Administrative consolidation is the problem. Because crypto, it's, it's, it, there's, there's multiple custodial partners, right? It's, it's all these. Well, the books are open to all of us, theoretically. We can all see the transactions. You, so it's, it's clear. The blockchain. Oh, excuse yeah. me. We maintain it. It can't be so. taken down by any one person. Yeah, blockchains there. It's cop. There's copies everywhere, right? You know, it's it's interesting, but it's not anonymous, and that's why crypto is going to have a hard time supplanting the dollar, the paper dollar, because paper still dollar. the paper dollar is the only anonymous means of conducting a transaction. It's my right. It's none of the. It's you know, and they they can do some level tracking. Let's understand that these do have serial numbers, so they are able to generate some baseline data. Oh, they probably data have RFIDs in some of them now. <clears throat> no, right? yeah. the RF I chips? mean, with, with the with the, the strips and such, right? Yeah. So, but all that aside, you know, that's that's what what we're saying here is that racism is real, and and democracy is a practice of constantly questioning and challenging the mechanisms that have been placed upon us because it's our choice to follow them. I'm not screaming anarchy, but I am mm -hmm. saying that we as citizens get to choose our system. No one told me I have to follow any of these rules. No one told me that a police officer has the right to pull me over. Actually, what it says, they have to have pretty darn good reason to pull me over and they're not following that. So we've got a lot of things we need to discuss, um, but it probably puts us at a good point for the mid-roll. It does. And before we go to the mid-roll, just one, one comment on revolution and why I don't believe in revolution and why I believe in the Republic instead. You know, you want revolution to happen possibly within the system because as you pointed out, anytime there is a revolution that overthrows a government, the revolting government becomes the institutionalized agent 
And that's what's happened in China, right? And it's happened in Cuba, and it's happened, and it's happened over and over and over. And, and it tried to happen here on the 6th. And it tried of, to happen of, of, here. In January. That was, I mean, if they had successfully, just a dear, just a deep, deep thought before we if break. Trump was still president. <laughs> if, he had, if he had that, I mean, if, he, if, if they had successfully put enough pressure on the Congress to not do their business that night, right? If they had, if they had successfully burned the ballots, right? And everything had to go back to the states. Could you imagine? Because I don't think they were going to actually try to, I hope, I hope they weren't going to capture anyone. But ha- if they had, and if they got those certified ballot docs, because they knew what they were doing, right? We're starting to see that they understood they had enough. a strategy. Yeah, enough right? of them. In there. To be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not idiots. They're, they're they're my fellow Americans. Some of them are very smart with very bad ideas. I don't understand what happens, but it does. It, people, very intelligent people, have been led astray by passion and fear because of the social manipulation this country is founded on. You know, freedom, for equality. What do we no equal rights under the laws, except for you and you and you. You know, inalienable equal rights. rights. Except no, no, it's like this. You, like, you. you gotta rise. Like equal rights under the law. But who are these people? Get them out of here. Equal rights under the law. You have a flag. <laughs> oh no, flag, no country. You can't have one. Can't have one. <laughs> okay, now we can do a mid roll. Feel it. Ah, here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Even though you've heard it before, it's still true. The war is never over. It's never been over. And every battle counts. I know you are tirelessly demonstrating good citizenry on the daily through your actions and words and donating time and money to causes that count. And we thank you. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day, regardless of who's in power, regardless of the capital letter associated with their name, because that's all a distraction, a misnomer. We need to re-examine each and every one of us individually. Be curious. We're a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative podcast a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. I took some liberties with that one, but I think you all understand. Yeah, I I hope I understand because it was different. Then I was like, I was almost thrown off. I was like, oh, okay, we're we're going forward. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the timing was a little different on that one, but uh, not enough time to have a whole donut. Speaking of timing, I don't know. If, I don't know where we're gonna be. Oh, well, I started the timer uh-huh. late. I want you to know we're at twenty-seven forty-five okay. when I started it, and I think I started it really like thirty yeah. minutes in. Because I'm at forty-five, and I started late. <laughs> ah, so uh, we promise we'll keep it under an hour. Um, oh, this is like, yeah, thank you. If, if you stayed with us this long, thanks for joining us on this journey. And hopefully you're not tired of the race conversation because it's, because it's not our fault. You know, the, the, like the government doesn't want to let go of its power and its control, its stranglehold on us. Right. So we'll stop talking about these issues as soon as the government stops, stops creating them. And there's a, there's an urban saying I love, which is don't start none, won't be none. I think that's kind of 
that kind of resonates with me because the government itself is perpetuating policies and and strategies and ideals to keep the the minorities and the different races down right so if you've had policies that we know you know be it testing on the african-american community and not providing them health care and seeing how um certain things affect them right if you have documented proof that you've done these things where are the amends i thought the united states was a system of justice and balance i thought that the scales balance when there's something that happens to a people. How come nobody can see that so far the scales show that we continue to oppress and we continue to terrorize minorities and we only say sorry, but we offer no scalable restitution. And I'm not preaching for restitution. I'm just saying, where is the action that counteracts the hate, the segregation, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the Japanese internment, where's the offset? I'm just looking for an offset. The people. We're we're the only, in our system, it's the people that have to become the offset, right? If you don't believe it, though, go back to episode, what is it, three, two, um, to be free, I think, where we talk about the the schools after the slaves were freed. Did the government set up any schools for the slaves? Oh, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. So it was up to the people. The wealthy of Pennsylvania had to set up schools to educate the freeman and create the freeman schools. And that is terrible. Society, the government is supposed to be there to make sure the rich and powerful don't take advantage in sense. So if you have a responsible uh, a, a responsible uh, uh, aristocratic society like the Greeks, as I've been expo- exposed to, or or the Athens, mm-hmm. that is that is, and you're proud to support it, right? That that you pay your taxes and you're such. Proud to pay your taxes because look how beautiful this is that we've created, or we have what we have today, yeah. or we have what we have today, which is the extremely wealthy are running from the taxes and running from the citizens that they owe a a living wage to. Yeah. And when we say, oh, it's, it's because the system they enjoy is skewed towards them and away from us. And it always has been. It started that way and it's continued. They've done everything they can to drag their feet, right? To retain their elevated authority without any real capability. I'm going to say it's really sad because the, the closer you, the more closer to the top you see of people who have never, who have positions of power, not ever having to be elected. So especially the business world, um, just because you can turn a buck does not mean that you're righteous or, you know, a decent human being or anything like that. And there's a lot of people who've never had to have any kind of reckoning in their lives and they enjoy a massive amount of power, authority, and freedom above and beyond anything we've ever known or will know probably by by design. And so that's what we're talking about. I mean, we use big words like the government and this, that, and the other thing, which is kind of an ism, but you just need to know that it's a power structure that's set up and and it's set up to benefit a few over the many. And that's the evidence. It's not conspiracy theory. That's the data. Okay. And it's been moving in that direction. I mean, this is why Bernie Sanders was so popular, right? Because that 
that inequality is becoming more and more and more extreme. And the people who enjoy the benefits of that inequality have become more and more and more divorced from the cost to all of us, to the earth, for their enjoyment, for more money than they know what to do with because they deserve it. I don't know. What do they deserve? Like this, so all of those Amazon boxes polluting the earth, and and just and but they does he deserves that wealth and. I just think there has to be something greater or at least a reinvestment. I'm not saying they can't have their money, but no. give a little to the solutions then. Turn a little bit more towards I mean if you're you need to understand to they're a part of a system. I'm sorry, it goes back to what Barack Obama said. I got to, you know, nobody really understood, but you didn't build that. Because they are not great because they're exceptional. They're great because they started out in a great position in a system that provides the opportunity to build a business. We right? lifted you. We yeah, the people your employees. lifted you. But I think we spoke about that earlier. He, I mean, I don't know. I've never had the pleasure because I don't have enough money. But are, is that individual sitting up there with those billions of dollars saying, yes, you know, I really, yeah, I, I figured it out. You know, I was so, mm, yes. And because of that, I deserve to have more money than anyone ever, 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 ever. No. Like They're just happens? playing their role. They just wake up every day and they have problems and they worry. And they're just another human like the rest of us. They just yeah. don't understand what disadvantages they've never had or never had to deal with or the disadvantages that other people have. It's, it's really interesting because the inequality, the, the aristocracy, thank you for throwing that out, the aristocratic groups of people who have been able since the 80s to turn over their wealth without tax over and over and over, those aristocrats have now become inbred in their minds. In, in such a way, right, that they just feel like this is life, this is what I'm supposed to do, and they get caught up in their egos because, you know, maybe they haven't come up against a struggle that's forced them to really examine themselves or society at large, and so they're just a cog, just like any one of us is a cog in a system, and they're playing their role without thinking about it, and their egos are getting into it. You and I were talking before this, um, be I'm going to tap dancer a little bit around this, but um, th the idea that there are there are these people at the top of these companies that are all just like it's an ego game for them, right? And there's a lot of lip service because that's what you do when you're in that role. You're a part of an echelon. You cut across all these different companies. You could be a CEO or a C-suite something or another, and you can move around companies. And you've kind of always operated within you know, two or three levels below that or above it, you've never seen anything below or above that, right? You know that little cut in the middle. And you're just operating in that space, um, following the rules, doing whatever you're supposed to do because you're beholden to something or another. Like you said, I don't think it's Mr. Smithers. Right, from... Oh, I'm blanking. How can I blank? That show's still on. The Simpsons. Yeah. Thank you, The Simpsons. You know, I, it, it, but Smithers comes from somewhere, right? That idea, that character. And it's it's not the actual person necessarily, is it is the is a a uh, group think. I think he represents a certain group think that goes unquestioned. 
among people who have outsized authority. And they think, oh, well, the system did this, right? It's not my fault. What am I supposed to do? What can I do? I'm just, I have a job. I'm a W-2 employee. CEOs are W-2 employees, right? Well, there's the CEO has a boss. I think we talked about it a little bit more, right? Like, so there's a, I think that's who that character represents and it represents the very old money, especially because of the jokes about his age and the jokes, um, the way he does things. Like he answers the phone the way they would answer the phone at the turn of the century. So he's only done it, I think once that I've ever seen, but he actually answers the phone with a, a phrase that's been dead since the phone was invented when, when they weren't sure to say hello versus ahoy hoy. And he answers ahoy hoy. And to me, to that speaks to me, the old style of um, Baron, you know, that mentality of, of, and the classic cake, like we, we spoke about with that capitalism cake. Now, now everyone maybe just sees themselves as a W2 employee and this is just the system they inherited, but the cake is still there. And, yeah. I, and I think that's the problem. Nobody wants to recognize the pressure on, that they're putting on others. And the plantation, right? The plantation got integrated into modern industrial systems. So, you know, back in the day, we probably had industrialization and then, you know, slavery plantations, and then sometime after the Civil War, the country needed to find a way forward, making money. That's why Reconstruction stopped, because the country started to flounder economically. Um, and so we're like, okay, we need to slow down this Reconstruction stuff, and we need to focus on making money again. And that's the system. That's the system we still have. Well, true reconstruction probably would have helped them, like a true yes. investment in education. And it would have been expensive. The country would have gone through it. But in the end, we would have come out with it with a better situation. But that's the problem, right? It would have been better for blacks and, and the Hispanics and the minorities and, and, and whomever. It just, it just was, it was not investment in people. There's not been anything. I was saying the other day, nothing good has been given to us from the government since the land. The land giveaway they did what back in the, I can't even remember when they did the the great Homes, land homesteading act. Yeah, like yeah. can we get another homestead act? What the hell? There's nothing like that. The government has done nothing for us. Zero as major as that. And the homesteading act was a recognition that they wanted to get people out of the cities and take a great leap forward for their family and develop the wild. We still have a lot of wild in this country, but who controls it? You know, energy yeah. companies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially the, the, in in those like North the the Montana's, Dakotas, etc. Those states, right? Um, Department of the Interior. Department. As of I Interior. understand, they control a lot of it, right? Most of it. It's all big. Yeah, it was always railroads, oil, and the federal government because we hadn't settled. We, being prevailing culture of the United States, hadn't really properly settled, had no interest in settling that area. But as natural resources were discovered, we relocated natives and set up shop. And that's those are the regions where the federal government, like you said, Department of Interior and big business are good friends. And the natives are, that's why we had Standing Rock and all that stuff, right, going on. Well, if, you, if you give that land away, then... You know, it can't be forested. You know, if people are able to protect 
property and own and, and own land, which is the American dream, right? If we actually did another Homestead Act, could you imagine they'd, they'd lose control to all of their, their rights, their possible drilling rights and their possible cutting rights. And there's all, and I don't know, grazing rights. Who knows? There's, there's all these complicated layers going on, right? That this is this, this complicated house of cards. And the only one who's not allowed in to play is the general pop. The minorities especially, but the general public, we're not really allowed in the room to understand what's going on with, frankly, our land. Because if it, depo- if it belongs to the interior, then it kind of belongs to us, doesn't it? Yes. How can we don't understand this better? And, and how do we understand that racism plays a role, that the government has so much control? And, and I think that racism still plays that. So they have great power to give, like the Homestead Act. And they have great power to terrorize like redlining. So mm-hmm. there is, there, there is, there is, there, the government has the power to do good and bad. And that's what I'm arguing is we cannot sit back and say socialist country and we're not that and great competition. Well, then when the Homestead Act came into play, where was, what would you call that? That's a great leap forward, a great <laughs> socialism leap, for, leap forward. Manifest destiny. That's a. Uh... Really, I think of that as uh, uh, an actual policy to advance manifest destiny to get us all the way to the West and fill in the in-betweens and um, have control. Hmm. Go figure. I think we're done. Well, how do you feel? We're done today. We're done today. I feel done today. I hope you're not done. You know, those of you listening, hopefully you you understand that this is a, a journey and, and more so we, we continue to discuss like this is in the end. This is a this is a continual conversation, but I'm feeling pretty good on the policy of, uh, yeah, the old way of doing it. The Burns, Mr. Burns, the Royals, <laughs> all of the above. The racism has no place in, in our government and future. So you can be as racist as you want. But the system itself needs a good washing of racism, right? The system needs to, to become clear of it. The, the Department of Ed, you know, the, the federal training needs to go forward, right? The bias training that was stopped. All of that stuff needs to continue to happen. We need to set standards and, and change society for the better. And I'm not saying it change it completely, but hopefully we all can agree that judging people by the color of their skin or even trying to... Or the piercings that they have or the tattoos that they wear. The tattoos that they wear. You're absolutely right. All of that, the content of a character cannot be measured by their cover. So maybe that's what we're saying. Are we, that, that old saying of you can't judge a book by, a co- by its cover, we're asking you to actually live that statement because we all say it. It's ingrained, but how come we actually don't live it? We're talking about the clothes people are wearing. It's time to get a little bit deeper, America. Amen. Thank you, Ray. I'll pray on that. We've been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It has truly been a magnanimous engagement. Hmm. Nice words. It's been something, that's for sure. For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up our contact us page and leave us a comment. We love to hear from the community. 
Special thanks to your listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.